Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson. This is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Welcome to the BYU podcast. A few disclaimers. One, this is not related to a university in Utah. Two, this is neither an authorized advertisement for a religion, nor a religious organization in Australia, nor in the USA. The opinions are strictly my own, and those of any individual participants. We are in Sydney, Australia, and broadcast wherever you find good podcast material, and this is episode one. That's right, our maiden voyage. I'm so glad you're with us as we launch out into the deep. Today's topic includes a fun study in words and language and why we use beef and cow, venison and deer, and how the Battle of Hastings was involved. We'll read from a nonfiction bestseller and determine if that even matters in 2022. Stick around for the next 18 minutes. Let's see where the spirit will take us. So here it is, after months of planning, thanks for joining me for this inaugural podcast, BYU Podcast 1.1, if you will. We have a lot of topics to discuss along with some friends of mine, and I want to hear from you as well. Don't you find it odd when a news presenter or a radio personality at the end of a newscast says, nice to see you here, or We'll see you again tomorrow, and such. They never really see you. You are merely in their audience. But on this podcast, Bob's your uncle. You are part of the show. We do want to see and hear you. My plans include contacting mates and to talk about a wide array of topics, including pickleball, country music, family identities, even stolen identities. Today, why we eat beef instead of cow, pork instead of pig, and how does this relate to the Battle of Hastings? Historical Marker of the Week What happened on the 1st of March? That's what day this is when we're launching Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Well, it was in 1872 that Yellowstone became the world's first national park. Located in the western United States, largely in the northwest corner of Wyoming and extending into Montana and Idaho, Yellowstone National Park, fantastic place. Jellystone Park, of course, is not the same. It's fictional. And it's where the cartoon character Yogi Bear and his buddy Boo Boo lend their name to a chain of recreational vehicle and camping parks with the first opening in 1969 in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. And that's the historical marker of the week. I've asked my friend Amanda, originally from Canada, who lives here in Sydney and is a wonderful travel agent to sponsor this podcast 
and we enter that official relationship today. G'day, Amanda. Let's get right into it. Is it safe to fly to Australia and New Zealand? And good day to you, Bob, and thanks for having me. I think travel in the time of COVID has certainly made us a lot more cautious and aware of risks, but both Australia and New Zealand have always been quite safe destinations. And both our national carriers, Qantas and Air New Zealand, have impeccable safety records. Air New Zealand was even just awarded safest airline in the world again, according to airlineratings.com for 2022. That's fantastic. Is it affordable, though, to travel around this country? I think the beauty of this country is that there's something for every budget, from whether you want to sleep under the stars in a swag to five-star luxury, there's something for every budget. Now, we're here in Australia, and people have not been able to travel really overseas. Do you advise people right now to travel to Europe or the USA this year? Well, personally, I'm hoping to travel both to Canada and the USA in April and also over to Europe in September. And while I'll always follow government advice for travel and safety, I think we all need to dream big and get back to visiting the destinations that brought us so much joy and excitement previously. Are you the kind of travel agent who works to get the booking for us, but then once the ticket is issued, we can't find you, you're not reachable again? No, I would say not. I think once the ticket is issued, the journey is only really just beginning because there's so much more to travel and being a travel agent than just issuing flights. So I can assist with accommodation, tours, car hire, trains, travel insurance, transfers, and so much more. And all of my clients have access to my email and my mobile number. So I'm pretty contactable. Um, I also have 24-7 assistance for while uh, clients are traveling. So someone's always able to get in contact with me or a member of my team. Jews and Words by Amos Oz is a book I read some time ago, and they promote it in this way. Through a blend of storytelling and scholarship, conversation and argument, father and daughter tell the tales behind Judaism's most enduring names, adages, disputes, texts, and quips. These words, they argue, compose the chain connecting Abraham with the Jews of every subsequent generation. Let me say that I agree and say that words really matter. And I love discussing words with so many folks. One of those is Phil. Phil Waugh, you are a longtime friend, a golfer, a Baptist minister, and you and your wife are moving to our nation's capital to work, probably not in parliament. Let's jump into our topic today. It's something I first learned from you while we were enjoying life, walking on a golf course. And I found this fascinating. Welcome, Phil, to the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Thanks, Uncle Bob. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, it's a really fun topic to discuss, isn't it? Uh, could, we could talk about it all day. Well, I, and we might, only we only have 11 minutes left. <laughs> and let me ask, how are you going? Are you doing okay? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank yep. God. Uh, I appreciate your joining me today, and this will air on Tuesday, the 1st of March, a great new season of the year here in Australia as we officially start autumn. Walter, <laughs> I never knew his first name was Walter. I always called him Burley Griffin. Um, oh, yeah. he, was, he was the American architect who both designed our nation's capital and he planted tens of thousands of non-natives, meaning trees, yeah. And and they abound in what Americans call fall colors. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil, you are a history buff, 
and you told me something about that 1066 Battle of Hate. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I love to, uh, to, to pull people in a conversation about this because you can sort of say, you know, in 1066, William the Conqueror beat uh, uh, King Harold at the Battle of Hastings. What relevance does that have to your life today? But uh, as I explained to you, it's, um, of course, it was the French-speaking Vikings, really, who uh, invaded some English-speaking Vikings. To be perfectly honest, neither England nor France existed as nations at that point. And uh, because the French speakers won the battle, um, that meant that the respectable people and the, the power elite all spoke French. And we know that. We know that French was the language of the court in England for several hundred years thereafter. But we don't realise how that still affects us today. So have you ever gone to your mother's for a, uh, a lovely dinner, Bob, and then sat down and said, could you please pass me some pig to eat? <laughs> well, as a Jew, pig is usually out of bounds. <laughs> that, would have been, that was a silly example. Wasn't it? But, you, but you wouldn't have said, would you pass me some cow to eat either, because that's an uncouth way to speak at an English dinner table. You would have said, could you pass me some beef Please. Of course, beef, not cow. The beef and comes you from the non kosher household, some pork. <laughs> That's correct. But of course, all of the animal words are English in origin. So words like cow and pig and uh, sheep and calves and deer, every one of those is an English word. But in every case, the meat, and the way we refer to the meat, is using a French word. So it's pork and beef and mutton and veal and venison. They're all French words because the French got to eat the meat. We got to farm the animals. Ah, so the and British. Like to this day, it, the English. Our language. So the, the English were the, how should we yeah, say, the peasantry. Absolutely. The farmer. And, and, and so the French really did, the French speakers had a, a word for the English language, which has changed word a little a bit, uh, the word vulgar. We, we were the vulgar tongue, which just meant common, not disgusting at that point. Mm. But nevertheless, we were the common tongue. I'm fascinated by and this. it's all because we lost that battle in 1066. Uh, now, mind you, English itself is an amalgam of Danish and Middle German and, I mean, and a massive amount of uh, foreign languages, including French and Latin and so much. Very eclectic language, English, yes. Yeah. Well, how about this? Not I don't know if you'll know the answer, and so pardon me if I spring it. Um, John McWhorter uh, from Howard University, although now I think he's at another, more, uh, another prestigious U.S. school uh, university, uh, wrote the book called English, Our Magnificent Bastard Language. And yes, it, yes. it was all about the amalgam, only he used the word bastardized language. So you see it that way too, don't you? That we're just a mezcla, yeah. as the Spanish would say. Yes, it, it very much is. But there's some interesting trivia with that as well, that if you went to the average English speaker and sort of said, could you identify which words come from Latin or French or Norse, the Viking words we've picked up, or the Celtic words we've picked up, and which are the old English words, most English speakers could not tell you. They could pick some obvious ones, but most words they would not know. But uh, linguists who have actually analysed our speech 
tell us that we have a very, very high preference, as high as 80 or more percent, where we actually use the old English words most commonly in our language. McWhorter made a, a thesis that I read while in the middle of that bastard tongue uh, book that I found fascinating because I'm a purist about commas and semicolons and and, right. uh, and, <laughs> and prepositional phrases and etc. And he said, since the English language has been morphing its entire history, why in 19th century Victorian England do we stop right then and say that's English? Yeah. Why don't we continue with 20th century and now 21st century? So there's the argument with people dealing with the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED, and how dare they add LOL or they add um, yeah. cancel culture. And that is a little thing that got invented in Germany called the printing press hmm. because that meant that for the first time language spelling was important. Now, you have no idea how unimportant it was before that. We know that Shakespeare signed his own name, spelling it differently, seven different ways. It was just a phonetic, that's close enough, you know. It was the way it used to be. But as soon as that printing press arrived, that meant that uh, we wanted to be able to standardise the way things were spelt. Hmm. Okay, let me, let me read to you from Abraham Heschel's classic, Man's Quest for God, written about yeah. 19, about uh, 1950s, 70 years ago, yeah. said this, everyone feels the binding force of the uttered word, the reality of an oath, of a vow, of a promise, yeah. in making a pledge, in giving a word of honor, in uttering an oath, or in entering an oral agreement. Man learns to understand that the word is stronger than the will. Yeah. Phil, the Bible, that's the bestseller nonfiction book we mentioned earlier, says this odd phrase, and you've you've heard of it many times. It says this at the beginning of the good news according to a man named Yohanan. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Does that speak to you at all? It really does. Um and, and he's, of course, writing about Jesus there, Yeshua, and, um, and, and claiming for him an authority by the use of this being the word, not just uttering of the word, but the, the being of the word. There is an example in my life which sometimes brings this to be when we utter something and it is so. Because uh, I'm a Baptist pastor, I get to conduct weddings. And at the uh, ultimate sort of stage of the wedding... I'm allowed to say to the audience and the couple gathered before me, by the power invested in me, I declare you husband and wife. And they are. They weren't and they are. Mm. It's the most amazing thing. A family has been created. Their relational state has forever been changed. They were single and now they're married. And it comes about by the utterance of words. And it's just a tiny little tint, I think, of, of what Yohanan uh, is getting at in that, um, in that verse, that the, the power when God speaks uh, is, is just so much more, uh, more profound. If, if you would think of it this way, there, there's something just very childishly simple about the logic here. 
for God to speak and speak his will and his purpose and his ways and his intentions and not have recorded them in a way which for us then could be known would be amazingly futile. So it's almost like um, because God does speak, because Jesus is the word, uh, that a Bible is therefore an inevitable result of, uh, of that understanding of who he is. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Phil, I really appreciate this. Thanks for sharing with me on our inaugural podcast. And I will definitely invite you to my next kosher meat dinner in Canberra, and I will learn even more about foods and words. Dear friends, thanks for joining us today. Remember, for all your travel needs, contact Amanda McGinnis at travelpartners.com.au or write me and I'll pass on the info to her. I invite you to review us on iTunes to share this podcast with your mates or your enemies. Simply repost the link and invite a friend along to join us next week when I'll be speaking with a 30-something Jewish woman in Berlin, Germany, whom I've known for over 30 years from Washington, D.C. and here in Australia. She still calls me Uncle Bob, so it makes sense to get an update from Miranda about Jewish people around the globe. She and her husband both served in the Israeli army, and they have three gorgeous children. The German dictionary just changed the definition of the word Jew, so I look forward to talking with her about that particularly. Until then, from me, Bob Mendelssohn, when things seem uncertain, look up, and Bob's your uncle. Shalom from Sydney. <laughs>